Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest, the award-winning master blender for Doc Swenson's whiskeys, Jesse Parker. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so this is a first. Th- this is a first. Uh, this is not going to be the first uh, master blender that I will be talking to, because we've we've. You know, I mean, if you've been listening, you know that we've had a couple of master blenders on, and we've talked about their juice, and it, you know that makes for a great time. But this is the first time I'm having a master blender conversation with someone who actually sent me a bottle that I'm going to enjoy for the first time. So by definition, you are my favorite master blender. (laughs) So with that, Jesse Parker, welcome to Whiskey, Jazz and Leadership. Come on in, man. Welcome. Thank you so much, Galen. Appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and talk about these these awesome topics and also be your favorite master blender by default here. You're my absolute favorite. You're my absolute favorite. Uh, but hey, you, you know, it's it's always interesting when I get an email from someone saying, hey, uh, we've heard what you're doing. We'd love to be a part of it. How can we get someone from our distillery to be part of your conversation. That's always interesting. And, you know, I, I'm at a point where I can't really talk to everybody. You know, everyone that contacts me, I, I get to be a little selective. And so I started looking into what you're doing and you you got like an amazing story and you're only 21 years old. It's like, you're not supposed to be able to, first of all, you're not supposed to be able to do what you're doing. And then you're not supposed to be able to do it at this young of an age. So uh, we've got a lot. I got a lot to talk to you about. I got a lot of questions. But my first question, and uh, this is going to be kind of a no-brainer on your end, I'm sure. But my first question is, so what you drinking? Well, we've got a little Doc Swinson's uh, straight bourbon whiskey finished in Oloroso. Pedro Jimenez, Sherry, and Cognac casks here on on the show today, which is one of my personal favorites because it's the one I arguably put the most amount of time and energy into producing for each and every single batch because it goes through so many different casks and it's a couple different whiskeys blended together in the first place. Oh, man. So you actually built this whiskey. Yes, I absolutely built this whiskey. This has been kind of a labor of love that has taken, uh, you know, upwards of four years or so to kind of 
the put together slowly and uh, about a year or so ago we decided to release it and it's been a well well received actually very well received all right well i'll tell you what since since this is since this is a gift and uh, again uh, hint hint you you were the first one and the only one to actually send me a bottle Uh, i'm gonna pour this and have you talk me through what I'm enjoying, because, you know, I don't know that I've ever, again, here's another first. I've never actually had the master blender who built the bourbon talk me through what I'm, what I'm enjoying. So I'm going to first, let's, let's crack this bad boy open. And we're going to give the, the first, the first test. The first test is the sound of the pop. That was, that was nice. And then some of them, some of them can be kind of quiet. We use all natural corks, so some of them give you a really nice, like I don't know if you heard that at all. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! It sounds better on your end, actually. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh my gosh! All right, so talk me through this. Talk, be gentle, but talk me through this. Sure, absolutely. Um, so one, I, I will admit, I don't usually like to tell people what they're tasting because I would like them to kind of decipher that for themselves. After all, we all taste a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, and I don't want to influence your, your, your palate too much here. Um, but I'll talk you through the process. And if you have certain little notes pop up on your palate, uh, you should say them. Um, okay. I think the first, first and foremost, when I was a, a teenager, actually, uh, I used to spend a lot of time, uh, in, in, you know, with a, a friend of mine's, uh, family's place back in Michigan. And his aunt was a grand sommelier. And she used to always say, just speak up. <laughs> <laughs> what she really meant by that was don't be shy about it. The reality is you kind of know what you're talking about to some degree and you should be honest about it. And like it. what she really meant was if you smell something and it reminds you of something else, you're probably not wrong. You might not get it on the head. You might not get it perfectly, but it's a good start. So with that being said, uh, my journey has taken me about 10 years. I'll actually be 31 officially tomorrow. So I started when I was 21 in the commercial distilling industry, and uh, this is this is where that road has taken me to one of my my all time favorite blends here, the Doc Swenson's Triple Cask. Oh my! Oh my! Yes, I'm just a tiny bit ahead of you, but oh my gosh, you you know what? Um, I'm not amazing at picking out the notes, but I will tell you what I don't taste. I don't taste a whole lot of peatiness. Um, I don't feel a whole lot of heat. You know, this is this is sitting right under 100. Man, this is nice. Yeah, yeah, this was this is spectacular. The the goal is to make something that was approachable, um, still be evident that it is American bourbon, um, which is first and foremost is the first thing on the label. We wanted to stick with that. And that's kind of our the direction I wanted to take Doc Swinson's was make sure our, our finished whiskeys still taste like whiskey, uh, which is a little bit different than the majority of finished finished whiskeys on the market. Usually they're you know, saturated in Pedro Jimenez or cognac or, 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 or what be. And our goal is to emphasize the whiskey portion of it. Cause after all, that's what it really is. So really the, the basis of this product was, or the process behind this was really kind of borrowed from uh, scotch and Irish whiskey blending techniques, where the idea is you utilize these different casts to, to, to just nuance the whiskey that you put in it, not consume it. And that's where you get these beautiful notes. You know, we have our, you know, these beautiful notes from the Olorosa, which is a little bit citrusy, right? You get a little bit of like orange peel, you know, you get a little bit of nuttiness, some 
some fruit leather from the Pedro Jimenez, a little bit of chocolate as well. Um, and then of course the cognac just really lends this little bit, teeny bit of, um, uh, creme brulee, um, yes. and then longevity to the whiskey itself. So really you're getting this, this bourbon that was already really nice in the first place. And in fact, it's actually a blend of two different bourbons that we use for this base from, from MGP. Um, they're at least five years old. Um, and then I finish them in a number of different casks, um, from Europe. Um, all ranging from standard 200 liter to, or 225 liter up to 600 liters, which, which is not very common to find in, in the Finnish whiskey world, American this, whiskey world. This is actually giving me goosebumps. It is so good. I've actually never had this experience before. You know, very often, because I, I don't know, you, you tell me, but what I've noticed is that when you go into the aisle, you've got your straight bourbons, but then you've got what I call the boutique line, where you see a lot of, you know, soaked in this cash, finished in that cask, you know, with this, with that. And I tend to walk by those. I'm usually not a fan because they seem to overdo it. And there are some pretty popular brands over there. There's some pretty popular labels over there. But this is really, to your point, it tastes like a bourbon. It tastes like whiskey. But then there's just a, a small little hint of a finish that's different. I mean, it, that, that's kind of it. Like, uh, I think some of the inspiration um, from my childhood really was like cooking, right? I mean, you have a nice steak. You don't want the steak to just to be covered in sauce or too much pepper. You can't even taste the delicious meat. That's the point, right? Um, or, or you name it. You, you name any kind of ingredient like that. Uh, you want it to be the star of the dish. And the star of the dish here is still bourbon. That was the purpose, is to be nuanced. You know, you can tease certain flavors out of the bourbon or emphasize them through utilizing these finishing casks. And that's the direction we took with it. So I always feel like it's kind of an uphill battle because you're right. A lot of people are like, ah, I get this all the time on podcasts, actually. Oh, I don't like finished whiskeys. Oh, they're just not very, they're just not that great. And whether they're purists, fine. Um, or it's because they've just had a lot of bad experiences. And to be fair, there are, there are a lot of finished whiskeys out there that um, once again, just my opinion that are are overdone or, or not all that great. It's like they they just check the box because that's just what was happening in the market. Like, okay, yeah. we do these straight bourbons. Well, we'll do these on the side too because everybody yeah. else seems to be. And then there's well, a few yeah. of us out there that have just really focused on how do we make finished whiskeys actually really excellent? How do we put our own mark on it and and convince people that these are worth trying and stopping in that that part of the aisle? Well, I'll tell you, uh, for whatever my endorsement is worth, you have it. <laughs> I'll tell you my, my specialty. My, my specialty is knowing what I like. And I drink what I like. <laughs> and I have only one requirement. And that requirement is that if you don't like it, you don't drink it. That's, that's my only requirement. I think that's an excellent requirement to have, honestly. I mean, people all the time are like, oh, well, what should I like? Well, what do you like? And in the end, if you like it, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the only wrong spirit to drink is the one you, or anything, is the one you don't really like. The one you don't like. And hopefully it's not just because you don't think it's good, it's because you have actually tried it and you're like, oh, that just doesn't go with me. <laughs> Man, well, I'll, t I'll tell you, you know, this, this, you know, in this podcast, we talk about whiskey, we talk about jazz, we talk about leadership, but I, I'm going to tell you, I've been listening to a lot of my own episodes and I've been hitting the jazz pretty good when I could, when I can. 
Uh, I hit the leadership really hard every time because that's that's really what I do. But the whiskey game has been kind of light. You know, I, I'm going to admit that I've been I've been kind of kind of sagging on my on my whiskey, and I am just so glad you're here to really talk about the process because we talk about how if you, if you go back to the beginning of season two, specifically the VIP conversation with Jared Simmons, he talks about how the, the through line uh, for whiskey, jazz, and leadership for him is time, that it takes time to create a quality whiskey. It takes time uh, to develop skill in your craft and jazz, and it takes time to see some things, to be able to train some things, to be an effective leader. So for him, the through line was time. Um, but I'd love to ask you, what what is the connection that makes this whiskey jazz leadership thing make sense? Well, I feel like I'm going to be a broken record here a little bit. Uh, I think I would answer that with time as well um, for, for quite a few reasons. Um, one of them, when I was younger, I was always impatient and I was a perfectionist. So those two things don't really go well together. <laughs> um and as I've, I've gotten older, and I think one of the main contributing reasons I got into whiskey, to be honest, or just barrel aged anything is because you have to be patient. You have to trust in the process. You have to trust in what, you, what you've done. And even if it starts going south, you, you sometimes just have to wait and watch it happen and realize that maybe it's actually not wrong yet. And oftentimes it's not. It's, it's just you're, double, you're second guessing yourself and you shouldn't, um, which I think also leads into a leadership skill, to be honest. Um, knowing when you're wrong is one thing, but also knowing when you're right and sticking with it is another. Oh my gosh, I, I got I, I got to get you to go back and say that again. You said knowing that you're you might not be wrong yet. I love that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're paying more attention than maybe me at the moment. <laughs> no, um, yeah, knowing 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 when you're wrong is really valuable, but also knowing when you're not wrong, uh, even though you're second guessing yourself. Is, is a really hard skill, I think, to hone. And it's something that I'm working on. I'm, I'm only 31 now, right? I have, a, I have a lot to learn in this, this world. And I think that's really the connection to help answer that question is, is uh, I think jazz, whiskey, and leadership, they all coincide with the, the typical roller coaster of life, right? How you learn, how you perceive the world, and how you navigate it. And being patient and assessive is really important. Wow. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I, I, lo I love that connection. Talk to me a little bit about what does that look like uh, when you're making a whiskey? Because being impatient, uh, I'm sure that there's a temptation to want to taste it, right? Well, it's 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 been aged for nine months. Let's taste it. Well, it's it's been there for a year and a half now. Let's taste it. Uh, can you do that? I don't think you can do that. Can you? So I, now keep in mind, I mean, I'm learning as I go. So I think one of the most interesting things about Doc Swinson's in particular um, is it really showcases the, the journey that I am taking to understand the ingredients that I have and how to work with them. So it's one of the reasons why we put batch numbers on the bottles. You can look at the notes on, online if I've updated them. I don't always get to it. <laughs> um, but uh, so you can actually experience the journey that I'm taking through the processes that I put down to make these products. I taste quite often, actually, <laughs> through the process. So, yes, I, I actually do. I, it's one of my favorite things. When everything gets quiet here after the production day has gone through, you know, I, I have got my emails out, my, uh, all my design work is done, et cetera. Um, usually it's incredibly quiet here and I have a, 
I, I wander through the barrel warehouse. It's quite humorous, actually. I just kind of wander through. I put some good music on, you know, whatever I'm feeling in the moment. Uh, it kind of echoes throughout this big uh, barrel warehouse. And we have these racks just full of barrels. And they're all over the floors. They're all the way up to the ceilings, you name it. And I'll go through and I kind of, you know, every couple of days, uh, I pick a set of barrels that I want to taste. And then I keep little samples, you know, from very specific times. I'm like, oh, this is when I think it's really nice. And it's been at this many days or this many months or this many years. And I kind of cross-reference them from time to time and I see how they evolve. So yes, I taste entirely through the entire process. It does take a long time. It takes me months to sometimes compile a blend that uh, I feel is a, in the right place to be able to be released for our brand. Um, so nothing's stuck to a specific time frame. I get that question a lot. They're like, oh, so what's the magic number? Is it 45 days? Is it you know seven months? Is it when I say, or it's all of it. I know a lot of people swear by, you know, master blenders, like people have done this for as long as I've been alive, will swear by a certain number of days. And I'm sure they have their reasonings behind it, whatever they may be. But uh, I, I take a couple of my pages actually from, I think more of the, more of the, the old world techniques. That's why we slap it on our website everywhere <laughs> from, from the Scottish and Irish whiskey blenders, from cognac blenders in particular, you know, where they have a number of different ages in barrels, you know, ranging up to over a hundred years. And they pull small bits and pieces from each one of these out to assemble the full blend. And uh, that's what I'm working towards here. So I actually have stuff aging from, you know, 45 days all the way up to over two years now in casks, you know, finishing wow. casks before they're blended together. So now how does one become a master blender? I mean, what was your journey like? I'm sure you didn't just roll out of the sixth grade and say, you know what, in a few years, I'd love to be a master blender. Or maybe you did. I don't know. I, I wish it was that obvious. No, I, when, when I was younger, my, I mean, I, well, one, I don't have a, I don't have any sort of pedigree in this, right? I don't even have a degree in, in blending uh, or flavor science and so nothing like that. This is, this is um, just what happened, I guess, in my life and something that I attached myself to at a pretty young age. I learned about a decent amount about brewing beer from my parents as a, as a kid. Um, I used to make liqueurs for the holidays for my family members with my grandparents, you know, things like that. And uh, I just found a fascination with the processes and the history behind all of these different products, you know, uh, whether it be American whiskeys, uh, cognac, sherry, scotch, you name it, wines. There's so much fascinating history behind it. And I, uh, for a long time, I actually wanted to be a chef. I, I really love flavors. I think there's so much beauty um, in spending time with flavors, which is why, uh, you know, when you, you don't get a good meal, you got to cry a little bit, <laughs> um, you know, nutrition is important and it, it kind of transports you. I think that's, what's beautiful about flavors. It transports you to a different time in your life or a memory, you know, and, and, uh, whiskey in particular does a really good job of that. Wow. And I, I want to share my experiences with, with those who, who are willing to pick up my bottles. That's another similarity between whiskey and jazz for me anyway, because for me, whenever I put on or see anyone reference uh, Eddie Harris and Les McCann, the Swiss movement, which was the first jazz album I ever remember my dad playing. And the reason I remember it was because I couldn't stand it, right? I just couldn't stand jazz when I was a little kid. And whenever I saw him pulled out that, that white cardboard album cover, I knew that the next 45 minutes was going to be sheer torture for me, right, as a kid, right, 12, 13, 10 years old. But now it has such nostalgic uh, such a nostalgic reference for me that it's actually one of my favorite albums because of the memories. 
And I, I know for you, you you've got I mean, you've got some pretty strong music chops here. I mean, you're talking Etta James, Frank Sinatra, Stan Getz. Tell, talk to me a little bit about this resonance that whiskey creates from memories uh, and how that might relate to to music. Certainly. Um once again, I think just like a, a good song or a good artist, I mean, the, these things transport you once again back into a different time, a memory or something usually, usually whatever it is, emotionally stimulating. Um, I mean, that's that's partly the reason why I selected the artists I did in, in your questionnaire was because those are what transformed me back to my childhood. It transformed me back to every time I had a, a fresh strawberry out of the garden that I grew with my mother, cooking French toast in the morning with, with my dad on a weekend or you know, every time I taste something really citrusy, it reminds me of uh, making baked grapefruit from when my dad would come back from, you know, being gone for six months for work out of the year, you know, and there's all these really beautiful moments that that I cherish and I, I happen to equate them to food <laughs> flavor, which I mean, what's better than good company and food most of the time, right? And good- That's it. That's wait, wait a second. Baked grapefruit. I've never heard of baked grapefruit. Surprisingly, I, I like to surprise people and make this one all the time for, for friends because they're like, what in the world is this? Yeah, you, it's ridiculous. It's really just covered in butter. It's like a medium for butter. You slice a grapefruit in half, you cover it in butter, brown sugar. I know people do all sorts of different things, nutmeg, clove, whatever you like. Um, sometimes they'll put Angostura bitters on it and you bake it in the oven for like 45 minutes and it just caramelizes everything. Mm. And it's 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 savory, it's sweet, it's it's citric, it's everything you want in the morning. So I highly recommend a good baked grapefruit if you're ever into it. Oh my gosh! And you can still pass that by as as breakfast, right? Because it's it's grapefruit. Yeah, I mean it's it's healthy, right? I mean, despite the half a stick of butter on the top and uh... <laughs> three three uh, three cups of uh, sugar, I'm sure you're gonna put on top of it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it felt healthier than a lot of things. Let me tell you. <laughs> so now, so now talk, talk me through again, just how, how did, how did you end up going into this place? Uh, you know, I, I understood that the first thing you did was, was, uh, was not whiskey, but you had some success with some other uh, adult beverages, won some awards and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively good at this thing. How did you become the master blender for Doc Swenson? It's kind of funny. Actually, I'm, I'm going to start this off here. Um, I, I always found a little bit of contention with the, with the, the statement master because I, I'm, only, I'm only 31 now, right? I mean, how much of a master can I be at 31? And then, you know, I, uh, my PR team is always telling me I got I to gotta, I gotta run with it. Stop being so humble about it. In, in the grand scheme of things, I, I remember reading when I was a kid, in order to become a master, you have to spend something on average like 10,000 hours doing it. I can tell you one thing. I've definitely spent more than 10,000 hours doing this. <laughs> wow. um, I think far more, actually. I'm probably closer to 30,000 at this rate. <laughs> and I'm still learning it. Absolutely. There's, there's always something to be learned. So I think becoming a master at something, it takes, it takes a lifetime, truly, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's being able to reassess and know when you, when you can make something better. You know, I mean, I, I don't think there's a point in time I ever said this one's perfect. I just know that these ones are really good. And that's why I'll put them in a bottle. But to draw back from that, um, my journey on this was was kind of happenstance. Um, I, like I said earlier, I was really interested in, in alcoholic beverages in particular. I think there's something really beautiful about fermentation, the, the art of it, whether it's you know kombucha or, or pickles or you name it. And, and when I was 21, I was I was going to university and I was looking for a job. 
And I, I, I thought it was really, it would be interesting to get into craft distillation. It was kind of the beginning of the craft distillery boom here in the United States. So this was 2012-ish. And I came across this, this distillery in Washington state here. Uh, I'm up by the Canadian border on, on the coast and uh, they, they grow apples. And I started, um, or I went there for an interview and I figured they would have hired somebody and I could just be like the assistant. I was still going to school. I'd only have to work a couple hours, you know, here and there. Uh, you maybe just do a taste room stuff and learn from somebody in the back. I thought it was fascinating. And they they decided to hire me and they didn't hire anybody else to, to distill. <laughs> um, I mean, they didn't have a background in it either. And essentially the, the owners showed me basically how to turn on the boiler and said, here's all the apple juice, figure it out. <laughs> wow. So after uh, about a year or so of doing that process, uh, you know, you don't have a whole lot in barrels at that point in time. And it wasn't a particularly large distillery. So we, you know, we needed to make some money. And, and what we do is we did was released uh, vodka, some unaged brandy called Eau de Vie, um, and then gin. And we, on a whim, uh, the, the owner and I decided that he was like, why don't we send it off to, to a couple competitions and see if anybody thinks it's worth anything, you know? And we sent it off to New York International Spirits Competition. And we ended up walking away with, we were tied for first place technically, I think, but internationally uh, for, for our gin, which is pretty incredible as a 21-year-old who was just kicking around at night <laughs> throwing botanicals in something. I mean, I had an idea what I was doing and what direction I want to go, but I was 21 making gin. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we even took out the, I think we, we beat out the, uh, the number, number what, top three gins or something in the world uh, wow. at the time, which was incredible. I think your story so far really does bring to life what I talk about is the metaphor of jazz, where you know, here, here are the basics, here, here are the fundamental elements, you know, here's how you, you know, turn on this, this boiler without blowing the place up, go, go figure out how to make this thing work. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's raw and it's from the person's experience, right? I mean, that's probably partly what makes jazz so, so beautiful, right? It's, it's, it's like a representation of life in front of your eyes, just put into a different medium. And I, I mean, I truly wish I knew a lot more about jazz. And it is kind of funny when I was looking into, into the questionnaire a little bit, I was like, gosh, what? Humorous enough, I do go to a jazz night every, almost every single week uh, downtown here, but I couldn't tell you at all what they're playing. It's very jam bandy. You kind of like jazz stuff. And I'm, I couldn't tell you. Usually I'm having a beer, hanging out with friends. There's jazz playing in the background. And I was thinking, I'm like, well, what, what kind of jazz really has spoken to me over the years? And it took me a while to, for it to hit, but it was actually a, a really Latin jazz. <laughs> yeah. It's the stuff that stole my heart. And I think it's really representative of, for some reason, the experiences that resonated with me when I was younger. I couldn't exactly pinpoint why. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.